0: Light of life is our theme this year at Northside and we hopefully by now know that that comes from John chapter 8 verse 12 where Jesus said those who follow me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And so from time to time we have been making sure that we highlight some of the good work and the good ministries, the good ways in which you have been letting his light shine in you and through your hearts and your lives. This week we go from the to the triplet family who recently served at Simple House. Here's Madison, Sydney and Paige and they were uh, I believe they uh, purchased these items with their own money and then took them to Simple House to deliver them. It's a wonderful opportunity and an experience for families, certainly young families. Uh, to go and serve and to learn what serving is all about. But it's not just for young families. We've had some other members as well. Gina and Laurie McCullough recently posted this on Facebook. They said, we enjoyed getting together today, gathering together uh, this morning at Simple House with Rochelle and Maria. And we had lots of clothing to fold, to hang up. Thanks for all the many donations. And she even put a word that they still need soups, macaroni and cheese, peanut butter and jelly and cereal so there's lots of ways to get involved. In fact, I think there was quite a donation left uh, in the bins this morning. So thank you for that. Thank you for your connecting to Simple House. If you don't know that's a ministry that provides for the poor and the homeless here in town. They, the Riverwalk Church of Christ runs that operation, but they're always in need of, of help, be it people or uh, food items. So thank you to those of you who volunteered. Keep doing that. And uh, thanks for getting your kiddos involved, Triplets. We really appreciate that. It's a great example uh, for all of us. Uh, to remember. Perhaps you have heard or prayed the prayer that goes something like this. Lord, I have had such a good day and so far I have not uh, said any bad words. I haven't been greedy or selfish or nasty or self-indulgent. I haven't watched anything I shouldn't have. I haven't said anything I shouldn't have. Uh, It's been a very good day, Lord, and I'm thankful for that. But Lord, here in just a minute, I'm going to get out of bed. And when I do that, I'm going to need a lot more help. Most of us can probably relate to a feeling like that, understanding as we go to God in prayer uh, just how insufficient we are most of the time. I'm very excited because today we start a new series called Call Out. And it's an entire series based on prayer. Now, I I certainly understand being a minister at a church that we are a people who believe in prayer. But it's always good to be reminded of the ways in which we can pray and the purpose of our prayer life. You know, the the church today is not just a believer in prayer. It's part of our DNA. If you want to say it's part of our legacy as a people, Uh, if you turn to the book of Acts, You can just, in a cursory reading, you can see how dedicated and devoted and intentional they were about their prayer life. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, right there on the day of Pentecost, as the church begins, some 3,000 people. uh, Luke says this, he says, They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, that was no understatement by Luke. Uh, All throughout the rest of the book, we'll see several examples. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, there's the story. Peter getting in trouble, getting arrested, going to prison. And the church reacted in a way that is so cool. It's about, I think, verse 31. We're told that after they prayed, I'm sorry, the Peter story is Acts chapter 12. I jumped over one. Uh, Acts chapter four, verse thirty one, we're told that after the disciples prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The the church began with prayer and it was there that they really found their foundations, that they were able to go out and be bold and be uh, fearless as they went about speaking and preaching and teaching and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. As they did that, sometimes that led to trouble. Acts chapter 12 is where I want to go now. Acts chapter 12, verse 5, we're told that Peter was in prison. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Now Luke continues as he goes on in Acts chapter 12. He says, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial... Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. It seemed like a pretty hopeless situation. And suddenly, verse 7, an angel of the Lord appeared, and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up, quick, he said. And the chains fell off on Peter, off Peter's wrists. And then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Now, that whole prison break experience was preceded with verse five, the church praying adamantly, sincerely, fervently for their beloved Peter. So we can see, we understand that it's important, not just for us today, but it's always been a big part of who we are. In fact, the word church in the Greek is ekklesia. Uh, That word simply means called out from among the world. And so if you think about it, a prayer is the opportunity when the called out, call out and call out to the one who created them, the one who made them and the one who redeemed them. So this morning we want to talk a little bit about this and really through this whole series about how to have the kind of prayer life that they had and that we should have today as his people. I want to ask you several questions as we begin this series, as we kind of lay the foundation for what we're talking about through these next six weeks. First, when do you pray? You can pray at different times, obviously. Are you an early morning prayer? Uh, I know some people, that's the first thing they do before they check their phone, before they get out of bed, you know, praying about all those things that they might have to face later on. Uh, it's the very first, it's reactive, it's instinctive. Roy Helm will tell me, I'm sure he's told some of you, he'll say, I'm praying for you. And, I, and I, he'll tell me his whole routine. He gets up, he gets his coffee, he goes through uh, several things, and then he pulls out his prayer list. And if you're on that list, you're prepared to be blessed. Uh, Roy is, is a faithful and fervent prayer. But you don't have to just pray in the morning. Some people like to do that first thing. Some people are, are late night prayers. You know, they, they come to the end of the day and that's sort of their sort of pre-bedtime routine. And they go through the day and they think about what's happened. And they, and they go through the list, a checklist of sorts, and, and they lay those things before God. Both the blessings and the struggles. Well, that's okay. You can pray in the morning, the evening, at night, all through the night. It really doesn't matter as much when you pray. You think about, like, your own family. I would imagine there are times that you pray all together, maybe at the mealtime. Uh, for the Lovering family, that's the evening meal. That's the one where we're most often all together. And we most always are there together and we'll pray together. And then at the bedtime, we'll usually separate, you know, one, of, one parent with one child, one parent with the other, and we'll pray together. We're still praying together. We just do it at separate times. As a spiritual family, we do the same thing. We come here and we pray. We've been led in prayer several times this morning already. That's a good thing. Thank you to those of you who have helped us focus our minds in prayer. But that's not the only time. You see, sometimes we'll be out here, people in the foyer, and they'll have a conversation and someone expresses to another a struggle, a difficulty, something they're going through and they'll pray with them right there. Sometimes the elders will know of a situation or a family or a a person that needs some help and they'll say, can we meet with you over here in the, the Holy of Holies, I think it's called. The elders office. Or sometimes... Sometimes the elders don't do it in the office. They'll they'll go out and meet people in their homes or go to a hospital. That It happens there, too. You see, the family can pray collectively together, but we can also pray individually together. I'll never forget several years ago, and you won't forget it either, Joshua Oakley, when he was awaiting a new heart, and the situation got very dire, and uh, I won't forget Steve standing up here and... And saying, we're going to have a special prayer session. Had us all come out and he said, if you can take a knee, if you can go prostrate, if whatever you can do, just do that. This is a time where we pull together and do what the church is supposed to do. And that was powerful. Now, was that the only time Joshua had been prayed for? Uh Uh-uh, not at all. I mean, hundreds of people and not just this church, churches all over the world were praying for Joshua. We understood that it was a matter of... Not when you pray, but the one to whom you pray, that makes the difference. Secondly, I want to ask you, how do you pray? The Bible has several different illustrations and examples of people of faith who prayed in different postures. Uh, when when you pray, do you pray? You bow, like Abraham. Abraham was a powerful man. He had been successful in many ways. There were lots of servants who bowed their knee to Abraham. But when it came time to to addressing his maker, it was Abraham's knee that took the bow. Because he respected and adored God that much. Do you pray out loud like David in Psalm 86? God, hear my prayer. Listen to my plea for mercy. He prayed with all of his heart as a man after God's own heart. But then there's a story of Hannah, who was a fervent believer in Jesus Christ, a fervent believer in God. And all she did was pray silently. You see, both were passionate, both were sincere, two different ways of praying. Do you pray like Daniel where you kneel? In front of that window for all to see, knowing what it would cost you and pray just as you had always done. Do you pray like Nehemiah as he struggled with the rebuilding and he he faced many challenges and difficulties and he sat in prayer? Or do you stand like Job after everything had been lost and he stood before the Lord and he said, the Lord gives. And the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Perhaps you pray with hands outstretched and uplifted like Moses did. So much so that in one particular battle, he needed a little help. And that as long as his hands were uplifted in prayer, they were winning the battle. We're told in the New Testament Paul said, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. That was the Jewish style of prayer, especially in a public way. Or maybe you pray like John did when he had the vision completely, totally prostrate. How is it? What is your position of prayer? How do you pray? That the posture of your body is not nearly as important as the posture of your heart. The Bible tells us many different postures of the body. But what matters is the posture of the heart toward God. Now probably what could potentially be the longest part of the sermon, what do you pray for? You'll have to forgive me because I didn't want to list every possible thing. So I just sort of categorized This, and maybe you can relate to some of these categories. First, you pray for help, for deliverance. Psalm 34 verse 17, the scripture says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and he delivers them from all of their troubles. Have you ever been in that spot? Where you just had no one else. There was, the the situation looked that bleak. And you just went to God and said, God, you're all that I have. As the psalmist said, who have I in heaven but you? Maybe you've prayed to ask for forgiveness. Um, coach one time told me, when you mess up, fess up. It's the best way to own up to your mistakes. Maybe you seek prayer for that Reason You go to God and say, God, I've really messed up this week. I've really messed up today. Father, forgive me for what I just did. Because we all fall short of his glory. The good news is that prayer is a wonderful avenue to ask for forgiveness. James 5.16 The brother says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Third, maybe you pray for peace. Maybe you pray for understanding. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, the verse that was read, do not be anxious about anything but in everything By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That is true whether you're facing a new job, whether you're facing a health condition, whether you are facing a relationship struggle Most of the time, our instinct is to not go to God in prayer, but instead to tie ourselves up in knots, to get all worried and bothered and troubled, to talk to someone else in gossip or malicious talk. And instead, what we need to be doing is seeking our Father's face, that we may have peace that surpasses all understanding. Maybe you pray for wisdom and guidance. Uh, Going back to James, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, are there anybody in here that lacks wisdom? Okay, a few honest people in here. (laughs) Any of you lacks wisdom, this is what he says. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. James chapter 1 verse 5. If you've got a hard situation, if you've got a difficulty, maybe you think, well, I just need to sit down and reason it out think through it, figure it out, solve it myself. That's what God put me here to do. okay? But maybe you could take Solomon's approach and say, you know, there's one who's smarter than me, who's wiser than me, who made me and who understands me. And who can help me grow wiser and wiser. And so when God gave him the option of asking for anything, Solomon, in his wisdom, asked for wisdom. And because Solomon requested wisdom and understanding, God was able to bless him with that and so much more. May we ask for wisdom. And finally, maybe to make a request. Not finally, I didn't mean to tease you there, but... We know that we can ask for things. Those of you who are parents in here understand this. That when it comes time for a birthday or Christmas, you start wondering what is it that they would like. And you start listening and paying attention because you know their hearts. I realize that you do that because you love your children. But Jesus said... You're all evil. We're, we're all, we all fall short. If we, though we're evil, understand this about our children, how much more than our father who is good? Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? No, we wouldn't do that with our own children. Would, would God do that with us? I love what Rob said this morning about being a child of the king. C.S. Lewis said it this way. <laughs> who in the world would have the audacity to ask the king for a glass of water, only the king's child. And when we understand our position, then it makes it easier to ask for those things. Now, we want to align with his will. We want to not ask selfishly. But when we are aligned, we have that power and that privilege to ask for things which God can truly provide. Next, you can pray for yourself or someone else. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep on with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. You see, one of the things we learn in prayer is it's not just about me. And as we pull in people, whether it's our prayer pals or people who are sick or struggling or a hard situation, we pray for them because we believe it's not about us it's about our father and asking him to make intercession for them and finally to be gracious to show thanksgiving to show appreciation first thessalonians five seventeen says pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you now we can pray for all of those things some of those things maybe you've prayed for other things that are not necessarily a category that I thought of and that's okay those are good things to pray for but let me go to where we're going to go by asking you this do you know a person that when you talk with them it's a very one-sided conversation It's all about them. It's all about their kids. It's all about their grandkids. It's all about what they're going through and their troubles and heartaches. And they aren't interested at all in you, except for maybe if they say, well, enough about me. How do you feel about me? We understand that. In your prayer life. Are you. That kind of friend with God? Is it all about you? All about what you want? Do you have any concern for what God wants? Do you have any care for what he says? Are you just there to unload yourself on him? Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying he doesn't want that. He loves you. He wants you to come to him. But don't be that one sided person. It's like that old prayer that that the child prayed that she was going on and on thanking God for for the trees and the birds and the flowers and the sunshine and the rainbows and the animals and everything. And then at the end of that prayer, she said, Lord, and thank you mostly for you. And Lord, please take care of you, because if you don't take care of you, we're all in a world of trouble. Do you have a heart of concern for what your father wishes? Is your heart geared toward him or only just about all the things you've got to tell him? We all know that that kind of person. May we not be that kind of person. May we not be the kind of person, and you know this person as well, that they're coming right up to you and you can only think in your mind, Oh, great. What do they want? Oh, great. Here they come again. Whether it's that boss at work. He, he only wants to come to you when he has a project for you to do. Whether it's that friend who only wants to talk to you when they can borrow something from you. Are you that way with God? Do you only come to him when you need something? May we not be that way with God. May we have a heart that's geared toward him. And this leads us to the final uh, the final question that was really the whole purpose of the sermon. Why should you pray at all? Some people think, well, God is so big. Will he really hear me? Does he even care? Uh, is it? Does it even matter if God's going to do what he wants anyway? Should I bother even asking? All of the forms, all of the methods, all of the reasons aside, what is prayer all about and why should I pray? If I boil all of that down, I think it comes to one simple answer. When you look at all of the characters in the Old Testament and the New, the reason that they prayed, the why that drove them to their knees or full out prostrate or however they prayed, to ask for anything and everything, the reason that they prayed was simply this. To enjoy and to trust in the presence of God. C.S. Lewis put it like this. God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel on which our spirits were designed to burn or the food for which our spirits were designed to feed on. I think that says it well. If we don't have him, we're going to feel really burnt out and tired and exhausted and exasperated and struggling and we're going to seek, it's even worse than that. We're going to try to solve the problem with other things. We're going to try to solve it, solve it with stuff. If we just get a newer toys and better things and bigger house and nicer car. We're going to try to solve it with money. If the, the market would just go a little bit higher, I could cash out. If I could just get this thing to do that thing. If I could just make this work. If I could just have that relationship that I've always wanted. If I could just be friends with these people. If I could just have this. And all of that is Vanity. If we fail to understand our deepest, most intimate need is God himself. In Proverbs 8 verse 17, God said this. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. God wants you to love him and to trust him and to enjoy his presence. Jesus said, if you abide in me. And I in you, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, we, we, we focus on the ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Like God, some sort of ATM, I just typed in the code. Or God's some sort of genie, I just rub the lamp. Or God, some sort of Santa Claus. If I just behave enough from November to December, he will give me exactly what I want. And God's not that way at all. God wants us to love him And he wants us to abide with him through his son. May we not forget that prayer is less about asking for someone, from someone and more about enjoying someone. Do you enjoy the presence of God? Are you there just to get stuff from him? Are you there just when you need something from him? Your prayer life should be more relational than transactional. I'm not saying don't ask for things. I'm not saying don't pray for situations. But at the heart of it, prayer is about this. Do you enjoy and and trust the presence of your maker? James puts it this way in James chapter 4, verse 8. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. May we draw close to his presence. May we seek out his affection. May we desire his heart like he desires ours. Well, that all sounds pretty good. Uh, Let me give you four suggestions on how you can approach this as we do this this week. First, present yourself to God. Uh, When I teach Tyler and Grace, how to pray, I give them two rules. See if I can get his attention here. When I say to pray to God, I say there's two things you have to be. You have to be sincere and reverent. The first is what we're talking about, sincerity. Present yourself to God. No pretense. I know we learn how to pray by listening to other people pray. But it took me half of my Christian life to figure out what Guy Garden Directus meant. I'd never, I'd never used that phrase. I heard other people use that phrase. And so when I pray, I would just put it all together. Guy Garden Directus. Well, that wasn't praying. That was repeating. That was me trying to pray using someone else's voice. And God wants you to pray using your voice. I, I'm looking over in this direction because normally, for many years, Huey Jennings was sitting in this area. And many years before that, when he would lead a public prayer, he would come up to a podium like this, and he would, before he would start, he would say, alright now y'all, let's do some praying. And then he'd lead us in his prayer. Now even when I did it just then, it felt awkward and fake. Because it wasn't my voice. Uh, You've got to figure out how to use your voice. Not just how you hear other people pray. And not just what you hear other people pray for. Present yourself to God. He created you. He knits you together. And he wants you when you talk to him. So don't try to be someone else. Pray with your heart and your voice. Number two. Attend your thoughts of God. And this is where the second thing, be reverent. You need to understand that God is not on the same level as you, that that he has reached down from heaven to earth, but he is still the holy, almighty, all powerful, all knowing God of heaven and earth. And when you step into his presence, the first time that we ever experienced that firsthand, I am I just believe we'll just be sit there in silence for a million years, stunned by the power and the majesty and the glory of his presence. Isaiah stepped into that presence in Isaiah chapter six. And as he looked into heaven's throne room and he saw the creatures surrounding the throne crying, holy, holy, holy. And as he saw the presence of God, he was simply overwhelmed. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips and from a people of unclean lips. May we remember who God is, that, that he is not just the little man upstairs. That phrase drives me crazy. He is not just the little man upstairs. He's not some cute little troll for you to put on a shelf. He is almighty God. So may we not just present ourselves to God, but may we also attend to our thoughts of God. As we bring those two things together, sincerity and reverence, then let us do the final two things. Number three, purge all obstacles that are in the way. What is the thing that keeps getting in the way of God? What is the stuff that's cluttering your heart? What are the distractions in your environment? I know some people like to practice this quiet time. You know, they they get away. To a place where they're by themselves and they have time alone with God. The teens did that at teen camp, I believe, this year. They had time alone with God. And they separated away from all distractions to focus on Him. Well, the distractions can be external and internal, so we have to purge both of them to the best of our ability. And finally, approach God before asking God. Seek Him for Him Seek Him because you desire Him, not just because you desire what He can do for you. Seek Him because you love Him, not just because He loves you. Seek Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So, each of these sermons, we're going to have a little challenge at the end. And this is this week's challenge. I want to give it to you, and I hope you'll take me up on it. And if you do take me up on it... I'd love for you to text or email or Facebook message or Twitter, whatever your preferred style. You could even write a good old-fashioned hand letter, handwritten letter. Our challenge this week, number one, is to fast. And the reason I want you to fast, the reason I want you to fast from food, is so that you can focus on God. Now, you choose. I'm not going to put the rules on how you do that. I would not advise, if you've never fasted before, to try to go the whole week. That's not... I mean, when will you have time for Chick-fil-A? That's not going to work. Maybe you could fast from something that you regularly do. For example, if you frequent Chick-fil-A, maybe you should say, this week, when I desire to go to Chick-fil-A, I'm not going to go. I'm going to instead focus on the Lord. And uh, I hate to say these words, eat at Arby's or something like that. I don't know. Now all the Arby's lovers are going to hate me. Maybe you could fast from food for a day. Maybe you could fast from a specific meal. However you do that, I want to ask you to pull away from something that our bodies need to focus on that which our soul needs. And I'd love to hear from you if you take me up on this challenge. I want us in this series to seek to draw near to God because he so much desires to draw near to us. Not for what he can give us. Not for what he can do for us, but because he wants to be in relationship with us. Now, I can't think of any way to, better way to end that sermon than just to tell you he wants that relationship with you. But there is no way to get it except through Jesus. And if you have not given your life to Jesus through faith, repentance, being immersed with him in the waters of baptism, uh, then you haven't yet started. And if you're ready to take that first step, uh, we'd like you to come forward this morning and we'll help gladly help you with that. Uh, or if you are, have any other need, maybe if you need us to pray with you over something you're struggling with, something you're going through, and you'd like your brothers and sisters to lift you up and help you, we'd be glad to do it. Whatever your need might be, please come as together we stand and sing.